Welcome back to the DSO Decision. I am your host, Brian Hanks. We're here in episode 13. We're talking about leases in this episode. I am joined by not one, not uh, but two of my trusty co-hosts for this episode, um, Liam and David. Liam and David, hello. How's it going? We're, we're excited to be here and we're really particularly excited about this topic because we think it's one that's overlooked and one that's truly impactful for those that are selling uh, to a DSO. Yeah, perfect. I'm yeah, no, thanks for being here, Liam. Excited especially to have you as a, as a real estate expert, a lawyer extraordinaire. I'm looking at listeners to the podcast won't be able to see what I'm seeing, but I'm looking at to your uh, out the window and looking at that Miami real estate. And I was reading in the Wall Street Journal this morning about Miami real estate prices and everything else. So it's on my mind. It's a good topic. And a lot of dentists that are going through the DSO process are going to find the topic of real estate just in general. They're going to find some curveballs. They're going to find some exceptions. And this episode is specifically geared to the dentist who owns both the dental practice and the real estate. And uh, David, check me here. This episode is we're going to talk about leasing the real estate to the DSO when you own the real estate and the DSO is not buying the real estate. So in our last episode, we talked about what, you know, what if you're selling the real estate to the DSO and how to handle that? In this one, DSO is not buying. First of all, David, how common is it? Let's take the whole pie, 100% of the dentists who own both the real estate and the practice. How often are the DSOs uh, just leasing the real estate? The DSOs are probably leasing the real estate, I would say, about 80% of the time, uh, maybe 20% of the time they would buy it. Okay, nice. So maybe we our experience. Should have started with this episode then, but that's okay. Um, so, all right, let's talk through in broad strokes the types of things that dentists are going to encounter in the lease discussion. Obviously, I mean, um, we could talk about lease rate. Every dentist hopes that now they can jack up the rent on the DSO because they have deep pockets. <laughs> and maybe by, why that may not be the case. But beyond the rent amount, what are the typical issues that now a DSO is going to um, bring to the table that the dentist may not have experience with or may not have seen? Um, maybe if they've never leased their space, some, you know, just some curveballs they might get thrown at them. So, uh, let me ask the question this way. Then, Liam, let me start with you. What does the typical dentist think the topics for this podcast would be? When the lease discussion comes up, where are the questions typically centered? And then, David, I'll flip it over to you and ask, what else should they add to the list? But, Liam, give me the, the typical dentist. What are they thinking about? Yeah, so, so the first thing that they're typically discussing is rent. I know you didn't want to touch on that and we'll, maybe we'll come back to that later but it's it's obvious obviously that's the first one yep. that's how typically charge the dso yep how much do I yeah right. and that's typically negotiated you know as part of the loi um when they're putting this deal together okay. um the other topic that is 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 often raised is the the length of the term um and that's typically tied to the dso financing um, yep. and, and so their lender needs generally five to, to 10 to 15 years um, as far as the term goes. Um, and then the third is, well, I, I would say there's two more, but the, th the third would be the, the bigger one, which is the maintenance or repair obligations. You know, who's responsible for maintaining and repairing the roof, the HVAC system, certain larger capital um, 
capital expenditures or capital improvements to the property, who, who who's responsible for carrying the cost on those items? And then the fourth would be like a right of first refusal or a right of first offer to purchase the real estate at a later date. I mean, that sounds pretty straightforward. And it sounds like the typical dentist then is thinking about some both obvious, but also good things, right? How much are you going to pay me? How long are you going to pay me to, to rent the space? What if something breaks? Who's responsible to fix it? And I don't want to hang on to this real estate forever, maybe. Um, so are you eventually going to buy it? Or what do I do with it after you're done leasing it? Um, okay. Right. And a, a, real quick, before I go back to you, David, Liam, it, are all four of those topics addressed in the letter of intent, in a typical letter of intent? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Unfortunately, they're not. Um, Probably just the amount and the lease term, I would imagine. Right. In a, in a non-dental lease, those would be... I, I, I would... Let's just say I have I would I would not expect those to 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 not be addressed in the LOI. They would they would almost always be addressed in an LOI. Um, and so de- obviously the focus on the dental side is more on the practice sale. So that's why you know the lease is is often not as fully explained or or set forth in the LOI. Okay, perfect. And, and hey, listen, there might be appropriate. An LOI is just a, you know, it's a non-binding agreement. We're trying to get some basic terms out so you guys can hash it out in the asset purchase agreement and other documents. But David, uh, we got the four topics that Liam mentioned that most dentists are savvy enough to think about. What else should they add to the list? What else should be, is there a number five, six, and seven? Well, I think one, probably one other thing that the dentist really needs to understand is what type of premises do they even have? Like, are they... Do they own a condo or do they own the whole building that has several condos in it? And one of the condos is theirs to use for the practice. And then they're leasing the others out to others. Uh, I think a lot of dentists don't necessarily think about that. That's something that becomes even a bigger topic, I think, when we start talking on the next podcast um, to kind of add a teaser about um, leasing from a third party landlord who may have a condo that you are leasing from them. But um, but I think that's one key thing that the that the dentist needs to really take into account when they own the property, and that's going to impact the lease to the DSO um, as well. It's not obvious to me why that's important. If it's a condo, if it's a strip mall, if I have standalone building, um, why, like why is that important upfront? So I'll let Liam kind of touch on this more, but I think I would give one example, which would be, you know, let's say the doctor owns the building. They've got different, you know, condos in there, one of one of which is their own practice and they're leasing it to others. Um, you know, they're maybe they're gonna have a condo association um in in condo association documents and language. Yeah. And um, even though they're the ones that own the building, a lot of times these dentists they didn't obviously write the condo association docs and they don't even know what's in them. And they could be violating something that's in the condo association docs um, in their own lease to the DSO. And again, I think this, this can often be even a bigger topic upon assignment. Um, but if we're just talking about the, them owning the building, I think that's a critical uh, one. Like yeah. for instance, again, you wouldn't think that this would happen when it's the doctor that owns the, the building. But let's say um, there's like a right of first refusal in the condo association docs, which says that every other tenant gets the first right of f- refusal to lease their the premises before any other person, right? So then if they 
lease the, the, the real estate to the DSO without offering it to the rest of the tenants first, they would be violating their own condo association docs. And again, it would seem absurd for them to do that when they're the ones that own the building and they should know. But you would be surprised. Yeah. Most dentists don't even know what's in their own condo association documents. Got it. So there might be additional rules, uh, considerations, okay, documents, right. requirements that need to be fulfilled. Okay, perfect. Anything and else? Plenty you others. You know, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I just want to give one real life example. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Love it. Anything else you'd add to the list? Or is that a good starting point for today's discussion? Okay. What I see one other one other item on that, Brian. I just wanted to mention, just to kind of piggyback off David. It, it's just, it, and it's not just condo. It can be a shopping center. Like you could have a landlord that owns. You could have a doctor that owns. You know, a small shopping center or an office building. But that that might be part of a larger development where there are covenants, conditions, restrictions, and easements that are recorded against. Or that that are recorded against the property, but also that are all all the tenants and occupants are subject to. So, what that means is that similar to a condo, there might be some approvals or or review process that needs to happen at that level before you can lease or transfer your space. So, okay. yeah, it's just making sure that you that you go through the proper level of due diligence, understanding what space you're occupying and using and owning. And how that could, you know, affect the, yep. the your sale um, to a DSO. So, and, and the bottom line is this: for you dentists out there, you know, a lot of dentists when they're selling their practice to anybody, but you know, we're talking about DSOs here. They think if they're leasing it, they're just going to drop a lease between them and the DSO. Period. And usually, it's the DSO that, that draws it up, and they think, boom, that's easy. Well, actually they need to look at the lease that they have and anything else that's associated with the premises to make sure a, that they can do it validly without violating something. And B, if they can do it, if there's anything that they need to do in particular to be able to do it, because once they sign, once the DSO signs that lease, they could be in violation or they could have missed something. Okay. Nice. Let's go back to the top of the list. Liam. Um, I'm a dentist. I own my building. I own my practice. DSO knocks on my door. I'm thinking this is a good thing. I'm going to cash in and sell my practice. And uh, this is great because I'm going to keep the building. DSO doesn't want to doesn't want to buy it. And so sweet, you know, I've been paying myself rent because my CPA told me to do that. And it was like two thousand twenty five hundred a month. And I know that fair market value is probably something like four or five thousand. So I'm going to tell the DSO that I want uh, 6,500, maybe 7,500 a month in rent now because they've got to take it, right? They can't get my dental practice without the lease. So this is fantastic. So the advice that you're going to give all the dentists out there is to really jack up the rent, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, it, it needs, for, well, number one, it needs to be market rent. Um, and most DSOs will demand that. Um, it will directly affect, and I'll let David speak more to this, but it will directly affect the enterprise value of, of the practice. Um, and, and so it, you have to understand that if you're gonna increase the rent, it's it's gonna affect the sale, what what the valuation on that sale is gonna be. So the valuation of the practice on the sale. And, and yeah, the overall but, sale. Uh, I mean, come on, like my rent was 2,500 before, that's how we calculated the enterprise value. That's locked in stone. Now I can jack up my rent. And you're saying, not so. First of all, not so fast, and the DSOs aren't so dumb. And you use the term right. market value. 
David, how is market value determined in a lease situation? When the dentist owns it, they're not planning on selling it to anybody. They're not going to lease it to anybody else. Um, who, who comes in and says how much the rent should be? I'm going to kick that one back over to Liam. Yeah, um, yeah, but, sure. I think, but typically, I mean, I think the number of factors are taken into account, one of which is comps in the area. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll kick it over to Liam to, to speak further on it. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's it's difficult, and it really depends on the 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 type of lease and the type of building that is being occupied. Um, if it's a single tenant building and it's a longer term lease, uh, you know you're going to look at obviously similar buildings in that area, similar rent for that type of use. It really is contingent. So not, you're saying you is it the dentist themselves? Are they going out and finding this, or is there? Yeah. Is there, okay. Yeah, it should be the dentist. I mean, they're going to be the ones that are going to be familiar with that area. I mean, I'm sure there are some DSOs that come in and they're going to do the due diligence and they're going to have their numbers. But really, this the the rent is negotiable. Um, and so, if if you're not if you're underpaying or paying yourself less than what you consider to be market rent, then it's important that you do your due diligence, go out, hire a broker, hire somebody within that community that's a real estate professional that can provide you with comps or provide you with information related to the, what fair market rent is. I will make one point on this though, because and I might get some heat from the DSO community, but there, there, there is a trend where a DSO will come in, try to, to give a low valuation on rent and then sign a right of first refusal. Well, without get again getting too far into the weeds, the rent often dictates the fair market value of the purchase price on the sale of that real estate. It's tied to what's called a cap rate and what in calculating the cap rate. And it, again, these are income producing assets. So the question becomes if you have a low valuation on, on the purchase on your rent, that will directly impact your your fair market value of your of your building. Which, and if you're locking it in with a right of first refusal, the DSO could effectively lock in a low purchase price for themselves at a later date. So, right. just something to be aware of. It's, it's. Uh, I, I'm not, you know. Again, there, it, it, this is all tied to the practice sale and the valuation of that, and I don't want to interfere with that. But, you know, I, I think that you need to understand how by agreeing to a low rent that may affect the the sale price at a later date, not only just to DSO, but to a third party as well. Interesting. Okay. Let me repeat back what I heard you say. First of all, I heard you say DSO is going to basically ask the dentist to prove how much fair market value rent is. And the dentist, unless they're a real estate kind of side guru and they do this all day long, they're probably going to go hire a commercial real estate appraisal appraiser of some kind to help them pull together comps and fair market value and someone that the dentist hires is going to put a number on a page and say fair market value for your rent is x for your building okay that that was my takeaway number one. First of all did i get that right yes okay the takeaway number two was be careful if the dso is trying to pitch a low rent amount um, not only does that benefit them with low rent because they're renting from you but it also could affect a future sales price down the road and it my takeaway, if I'm a dentist listening to this, is to just ask someone smart like you, hey, when I sell this building, does this does this lease thing we're talking about somehow affect my sales price down the road? Yes, 100%. And okay. it will. Yep. And, yep. And, and, and the balance is obviously you have to, the low rent will increase the value of the, of the, of the practice. 
um, to some extent on the sale. But the concern then obviously is it's going to reduce the value of the real estate. The the real estate is only going to be as as valuable as what it can produce from a commercial real estate perspective. So if, if, if it's paying, you know, a hundred to, you know, thousand dollars less than what market rent is, then that's what the value of that real estate is going to be. So somebody else come in and say, yeah, you only collected X for rent. Therefore the building is only worth Y. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Let's talk about the term. Uh, you said something in the kind of in the beginning ish of the episode, you talked about the term being tied to the lender and some of the lenders rules. Um, first of all, it sounded like you said most common lease terms are going to be something divisible by five, five, 10, 15 year. Uh, right. Is that to be kind of is that the most common thing that you see? Yes. Uh, okay. Usually, usually a 10 year initial term and then there will okay. be some renewal periods. Of five to reason, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. They, okay, perfect. So the, they have an option to renew a, re, a, a lease. Okay, perfect. So okay. it could go longer than 10 years um, if every, everybody likes each other and everything's still going well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, One note on that, though, there are some states that do have transfer. If it goes beyond 20 years or 25 years, it's actually considered a sale, like in Pennsylvania. Oh, if it's 30 years um, or beyond, you actually sell, and that triggers a transfer tax. On, on on the lease itself. Huh. So just something to consider. Well, I'll raise my hand as the accountant and say, I did not know that. So it's yeah. a fantastic info. All right. Um, and then um, w- my understanding of the lease term is if the DSO is borrowing money or there's a lender or someone else is ponying up the money to buy your dental practice and to pay this lease into the future, the lease needs to be as long as whatever loan is involved in paying you as the dental practice owner. So if, if, uh, if I'm a DSO, I went to, let's, I'll make it up, Bank of America. Bank of America says, sure, here's some money. You got to pay us back within 10 years. Bank of America is wanna, going to want to know that you can stay in that space for the entire term of the loan. So if it's 10-year loan, the lease has to be at least 10 years so that the, the that B of A can get paid back. Did I get that right? Okay. Yep, exactly. All right, perfect. Let's talk about the the repairs and maintenance, because to me, this is kind of obvious. DSO isn't buying the location because they don't want to deal with fixing the roof and the AC that breaks and the ants that started marching through the, the break room. So uh, the owner of the, the facility is on the hook for repairs and maintenance in most cases. Yes. Or is there more to it? No, it depends. So it depends on how the lease is structured. So in it. Traditional triple net lease, the landlord's obligated to maintain, repair, and replace the the common areas, um, which includes those those areas outside of of the areas appropriated for tenants. Um, again, the landlord can even it, it's all negotiable, but the landlord in some leases could be responsible for repairing or replacing certain things within the premises, such as the HVAC. So it it really comes down to the negotiating leverage. The length of the term and and the structure, the, the actual building, you know, multi-tenant versus single tenant um, versus shopping center, certain things like that uh, will come into play. So yeah, okay. it, it, it's really depending upon the the, the building and the, and the and the terms. Really got to negotiate hard for that snow removal there in Miami. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's right. Okay, so um, 
Is there something, uh, David or Liam, that you guys try hard to get your DSO, uh, excuse me, the dentist clients? So our listeners, is there something that they can maybe have in their head to try to shoot for with repairs and maintenance? Yeah. So, so j- just from, just to be clear, from a from a landlord's perspective, as a yes. you know, with the DSO at least. Okay. Yeah. So yep. you know, we we tip. I mean. It, it, typically, we'd like to shift the cost of like an HVAC system over to the tenant, to the DSO. Um, that is often, I mean, it's one of the most heavily negotiated provisions, that roof, you know, the parking lot. But really, it's the HVAC system because, again, that that's like in the eyes of the tenant, the landlord should carry that cost because that's a capital improvement. Um, but from a tenant's pers- or from the landlord's perspective, given the length of the term, um, if it's a relatively newer system, the the tenant will have the chance to really use that system throughout its useful life, um, and and you know you can make a strong argument that that the HVAC system will be if again if it's only used by that tenant, they should be the ones to maintain, repair, and replace it. Um, it's it's again it's negotiable. A counter would be you know to amortize the cost of that over the useful life. Um, of that asset, so they're only paying a portion of the value of that asset each year, um, instead of you know all the tenants responsible for the whole entire cost of it. If it breaks in year five, I mean, there's a variety of ways you can negotiate it. You know that if it breaks at the end of the term, the tenant's not supposed to you know be responsible for it. Negotiated because so. if I'm if I'm a DSO, I say, hey, listen, like you know, um, be, being dry, not having it rain on me in the dental chair is an expectation, and 72 degrees Fahrenheit is an expectation. That's just what a building is. Suck it up and pay. And and you're saying, ah, yeah, but we have some leverage. We want you to pay for the AC. And, and sometimes I would imagine, uh, let me just be brief. What percentage of the time does the landlord or the dentist in this case successfully get the DSO to pay for something related to a roof or an HVAC? Is this 50-50 or it's like, nah, it's like 5% of the time the landlord is successful here? I would say 50-50, but there's a caveat to that because even when the tenant is not responsible for repairing and replace or is responsible for repairing and replacing it, and it's not the responsibility of the tenant, the landlord could still pass through that cost as part of operating expenses. So it, they could they could kind of circle cir- circumvent this whole thing by by just passing it through. They're responsible. And in a lot of cases, that actually benefits the landlord because the landlord's oftentimes insuring that. And so they want to control that. They want to understand who who's maintaining it. Um, and, and it, 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 there's a lot more nuances to it than that, but just to kind of, for, for simplicity's sake, if you, if, if you're a landlord and you're obligated to, to repair and replace it and maintain it, one other option would be to try to pass it through as part of operating expenses. Assuming that that's not excluded in the lease. We're just make it into the rent. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, last question, and the, let's make it brief. Um, what should the landlord be thinking about with first right of refusal on the sale of the building? Um, are they trying to sell to the DSO? Are they retaining an option to sell to anybody they want to? Um, how does this work? And what is what are the key questions for a dentist to ask themselves and to ask you when they get to this point? I think I think the first thing would be to understand is this DSO an, an entity that that wants to own real estate. Um, sometimes 
we've learned that DSOs just want to lock this up and don't want to deal with a third party landlord. So the right of first refusal really, it, 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 it chills the title to, to a lot of extent on the property. It's, it's difficult to get an offer from a third party when you have a right of first refusal um, outstanding. It, it's just, it's, it's, it, it just doesn't really happen that often. Um, and so DSOs will do this to just prevent, they have no intention to necessarily buy the building um, yeah. or they, they may, but it's just not part of their business model at that time. And so, but they just don't want to deal with a third party landlord. They know who this, you know, the landlord is, they're part of this transaction, they're invested into this DSO. And so they mm. feel like they can trust them and they, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be a good operator. And so by, you know, if, if, if the landlord sells to a third party, that could change things. Okay. So um, the just ask, you ever intend to own the real estate? Yes or no. And if they're right. sure they'll give up, oh, we're not sure answer. So you try to get a sense, you can ask your lawyer who's maybe dealt with this DSO before another side note, another good reason to have a uh, dental specific lawyer that deals a lot with DSOs because they've been around the road with, with a lot of these folks, and then you're going to have to make a judgment call. Um, you know, am I, lo am, am I locking myself into a situation where I may not be able to sell to anyone else? And I may be the owner of this and it may stay in my estate if I get in a car accident and, and it passes on or something like that. Okay. All right. Good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to the topic of leases when there's a, when the dentist doesn't own the practice. We'll do that in the next episode. Uh, David, Liam, thanks for being a part of the DSO decision. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us and we're excited for the next one.